Today we're starting our new series uh, for this whole month. This whole year we're doing Foundations of the Faith. Foundations of the Faith. It may not sound like the most exciting uh, topic to try and get into for an entire year, but I believe this is one of the most important things we could ever do to have our foundations of our faith clear in our minds and our hearts, to connect our beliefs and our behaviors together in the way that they align with God. Our beliefs and our behaviors. This entire year, you're going to talk about, you're going to hear us talk about the connection between our beliefs and our behavior. And so this whole month, we're going to be talking about these four topics, talking about uh, scripture. The first week, which is today, which is our importance of scripture. Next week will be memorization and meditation. The following week will be examining scripture, renewing the mind. And then the last week will be the practice of scripture. I believe that God speaks to us in three different ways, three different modes or methods. Number one is through the Holy Spirit. And number two is through the body of Christ, where we actually, uh, God moves in us and through us as we, as we, as iron sharpens iron. Another way of saying that is that we irritate each other, but we help to grow each each other, you know, in Christ, right? That's what we do. That's what the body of Christ is. And the last one, of course, is through his scripture. And so therefore, it's important for us to understand the importance of this book. This is this, my first Bible that I ever got from my mother. And I've got uh, notes all over it to prove that I'm really holy. And uh, this is the book that she gave. And I've taken it all over the world, you know, since I was a teenager. And I, and I, and I love this book. It's, it's a, a treasure. I really believe in that. But what, before we get into talking about the importance of scripture, I want to ask you about how you feel about Scripture and how important it is. So how many of you actually believe that this is the Word of God? I'm just trying to test it. You put a hand up, put a hand up. There you go. Okay, there's a lot of people. And it's okay if you don't. If you don't have the evidence or if you're not quite there yet, that's fine. But most of you actually believe this is the, this is the Word of God. Okay, so how many of you believe that this is the most important book that you could ever read in your life with just a show of hands? Oh, very good. Okay, a lot of people I'm in the right room. That's excellent. Okay, how many of you have read it all of it. Okay, lesser hands, right? We're getting into the guilt stage here. That's okay. <laughs> How many of you have read a book, any book, all the way through? Oh, more hands. Okay. So now we're at the last question. Now watch yourself here because God's still watching, right? God's still watching. At least I'll tell him about it. How many of you intend to read the whole thing? Okay. Thank you for those that are honest about saying you won't do it, right? <laughs> no, I won't do it. And if I do do it, then I'll be good. Okay, I said do do. Never mind. Um, so, so this is important that, that this is an important book for us, for our Christian faith. Now, the, the thing is with this is that it can be a little bit difficult. And today it might be a little bit nerdy about what we're about to get into. But, but it's important for us to understand where the scriptures come from so that we can know what we're reading and why we're reading it. It, right? So where did the scriptures come from? Where did they all come from? Well, they're basically a collection of books, 66 books in all, by 40 different Jewish authors and one guy who's a Greek. And they're the different types of books that are in it. You've got history, you've got law books, you've got songs, letters, testimonies, prophecy, wisdom, all these different types of books that are in the scriptures that we read. And it took about a thousand 500 years for all these different authors to, to put all their different writings together. And this is what we literally call the scriptures. <clears throat> but how is it that it has been made up? Well, we know there's two parts of our books and there's a division in it. So we have one, the first part of the book is called the Old Testament. Very good. And the second part of the book is called the 
All right, you guys are on track. You're ready to be Christians. Totally signed up to be Christians. But the book has actually got a complete unified message right across the board. And that book is, has this one point, this, this collection of books here called Biblia, which comes from the Latin word Biblia, which means multiple books. It has one unifying message, and it's this. It's to show how God is redeeming humankind from the consequences of sin through a savior who comes from his chosen people, Israel. Now that's a mouthful, I understand. Let me say again quickly. It's to show how God is redeeming humankind from the consequences of sin through a saviour who comes from his chosen people, Israel. That's essentially, in a nutshell, the whole, the whole message of what Scripture is about. So, how does it make up the Old Testament? How do we make up the New Testament? Well, let's look at the Old Testament first of all. The Old Testament. The Old Testament is made up of three different sections. The first section is the Torah. Now, you see this word Tanakh up here. This is what the, the, the um, uh, religious Jewish people who follow uh, the Old Testament writings, they call it Tanakh. It's the first different letters of each different section in their language. You've got the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of your scriptures, also, also called the Pentateuch. That's considered really important scriptures because it was believed that it was written by Moses, who is one of the only people who has actually faced God, has actually looked at God, interacted with God, had actual conversations with God. He was the one that was trusted to lead the Israelites like Charlton Helston out of Egypt, right? And so he was the one that was trusted with these scriptures. Now, he maybe only spoke them out and someone wrote them down, but that's attributed to Moses. The second part is the prophets, Joshua, First and Second Samuel, Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. There's lots of uh, prof- prophetic books. Now, Sometimes the prophetic books can be difficult because it's about woe to you is this and woe to you that and woe this and it's always, and it's like the one message said a thousand different ways about how God is displeased with sin and how he wants to redeem us. And so sometimes these books can be difficult to read, but they're still very important. And then the last part or the last collection of writings in the Old Testament is what we just call writings, just generalized writings. Psalms, Proverbs, Job, First and Second Chronicles, Ruth, etc. These types of books they're different types of books, but they're just called writings because they're not considered prophetic and they're not part of the Pentateuch. Now, there are other sources of, of other religious scriptures or religious books that some Bibles out there are included, and they're called the apocryphal Bibles, like the Maccabees, Tobit, Jude, Wisdom, Sirach, the Catholic Bible. If any of you grew up Catholic, your Bible actually has a couple of extra books in your Bible. Whether you, you know, whether you read them or not, this is generally, this Christian Bible is generally the Bible that, that is right across the board and that is mostly uh, followed by Christians. Now, 400 years later, a guy came along who was called Jesus, who said, hey, the Savior that was cried out for and that was predicted in the Old Testament, I'm that guy. And so therefore, he walked around saying that he was the Son of God and he gathered a bunch of disciples and he was killed for who he was and then he raised from the dead supposedly and then all these disciples uh, they went around telling other people about him and they wrote the New Testament and so the New Testament is divided up generally in this manner you have the gospels you have Matthew you have Mark you have Luke and John you probably all know that already this is the gospels that's the truth this is the story of what Jesus said what he did what he believed what type of a person he was now these were all direct disciples of Jesus except Luke Luke 
Luke was like a lawyer, but he was actually a doctor who actually wrote this book of Luke and he also wrote the book of Acts in a defense of who Paul was because Paul, who was another a later disciple of Jesus. He'd been caught by the Romans and he was being persecuted and he was about to be executed, but he deserved a fair trial. So this guy, Luke, he went around and he spoke to everyone who spoke, who met Jesus directly and he wrote the book of Luke. These are really important because it's the only information that we have, the direct information of what Jesus said and what he did. The second uh, uh, section of scripture that's really important in the New Testament is the book of Acts. Why? Because this is the record of how the church grew it's very important to see how it went from you know, one, one city to the next village to the next city and how it just exploded across the earth. And today, this we still have what we have today simply because of how it grew. Now, the third part of the scriptures in the New Testament is the letters, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, and James. I'm not, I'm not including Revelation here. But that's basically the letters of what the, the apostles were writing to those churches to say, hey, how about you stop doing this junk and how you start doing this good stuff? stuff. This is writing to Christians. This wasn't even non-Christians. This was people of the faith that were struggling of knowing how to live out their faith. And so thank God they actually wrote these letters. Otherwise, how would we know how to, what to believe and what to think and what to do if we didn't have these instructions? A few years ago when I was in London, I got the privilege of actually seeing one of the earliest fragments of the book of John. And it was a really moving experience for me. Why? Because I firmly believe that not only is this the word of God, but I am so grateful for the thousands of men and women over the years that died to preserve these scriptures so that we could get to read what God spoke to men and women of God years ago. They died for this. And in fact, there used to be a, a scriptorium downtown. There used to be a, a kind of a, a place, down, I can't remember what it's called, Holy Land. And they used to have a scriptorium there and they had early Bibles from the early uh, 10th century where it actually has blood stains on it. And it said that this is the blood of the person that was killed whilst they were reading the scriptures. And I was so moved by that because there are people who have laid down their lives so that we can have this book. And yet we kind of overlook it a lot, right? Most of us probably don't even read it every day. We take it for granted. There are people in China today that can't even get a hold of this, a copy of this. And if they can just get a page of it, they will memorize it so they don't forget it in case they, get a, they lose it or they have to get rid of it or it gets taken away from them. They value it so much more sometimes than we actually do. Wow. So what sources do we use to make up this current collection? How do we, how have we come across? How does, who decided... Let's put John in here. Who decided, let's put First Chronicles in here? Who, who decided to put Song of Songs in there? Who decided to do that? Well, there are three, three different um, uh, times in history that we really believe were, were defining moments in history that helped uh, Christians to uh, make a decision on, on how we should put these books together. The first time was when, when, they, when they put together the, a thing called the Septuagint. Now, Sept means seven. And there were 72 translators who took the Hebrew Torah and they translated it into Greek and this is in 275 BC and they, they, they decide to sit down and say listen there's too many copies going on have you, have you ever played that game uh, is it called telephone I think they call it in America and you whisper it to one person then the next person goes he said he said uh, the monkey's in the tree and then he tells it to the next person they said the monkey's in the hut and it got changed as it was going along well sometimes what can happen over uh, over time 
is that copies of copies of copies of copies can actually start changing things and mistaking what was really written down. And so there was these moments in time where these, these, these scholars, these translators said, let's get the earliest manuscripts we can find and let's decide what's true and what's not true. And so this was more, probably the first time in 275 that we can, we can get back to. The second time was the Masoretic text where there was all these scholars and translators that took Hebrew and Aramaic translations uh, around about the 7th and the 10th AD 10th century AD and they decided to say there's many more now there's many more books that have been added there's other Jewish writings that have been added we need to define which ones so if you read the NIV the KJV the ASV all of these translations come from these collections of scriptures now there's one last uh, section or time in history and that is when the early church fathers like Ignatius Justin Martyr or Saint Arrhenius they decided to make a decision on which scriptures were meant to be in the New Testament. Because there are other gospels like the gospel of, uh, of Thomas or the gospel of Mary. There's other writings, but they sat down and went, you know what, we can't verify this was actually written by Mary. We're not entirely sure that even agrees with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Let's pare it down so we're only reading and only interacting with the actual scriptures that we believe can actually be verified. Now, there were 500 copies of the early New Testament scriptures that, were, that, were, that we were able to source to be able to verify that these are the most historically accurate and, and, and uh, reliable scriptures of the New Testament that we can follow. All right, did you follow me so far? You feel like you're back at school. There's going to be a test next week, so you better be listening very carefully and taking notes. All right, let me give you a quick overview of what the, all of the scripture is, what the whole story of the scripture is before we try and get into the, the uh, more to the meat. So, what are the scriptures about? Well, let me give you a quick nutshell. Right, this is it in a nutshell. This is me in a nutshell. I'm in a nutshell. So, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Right, God made the heavens and the earth. He made all the creatures, but only humankind was made in the image of God. It received the actual spirit of God breathed into us. And so God gave them an option. Do you want to follow my way or follow you way? Why would he give them an option? Because love must be free, right? If we were just made into robots, then we couldn't be in the image of God. In order for us to be loving, creative human beings, and in order to be in the image of God, we must have this free will. So they were given a choice, and they actually decided to go their own way. Screw up, I know. But then it led to the next section, which is the fallen world. That's when Noah was told to wipe out the earth because it was so bad, because the sin just got worse and worse and worse. People were killing each other, stealing each other's wives, stealing each other's property. We even had the Tower of Babel, and you have all this junk that's happening. And one day goes, well, sorry, one day God says, I'm going to find someone that I can trust so that I can start to show them my ways. And he found this man called Abraham, and from him became this nation of Israel. And he decided to teach them his ways. He taught them how to be clean, how to be holy, how to do the right things and not how to fall into sin. And so that is his chosen people. The problem with that is you would get one of their kings would become a good king and then the next one would become a bad king. Then the next one would be following God. Then the next one would go and chase after other gods. And God said, forget it, this thing's not working out and we need something better. And the people started to cry out and they said, give us a savior. 
Give us a savior who can show us the way. Well, after the last book of the Bible is written, uh, about 400 years later, this man Jesus comes along and he decides to, he said that he was the savior. He was both God and man. And he said, he's come to pay for our sins by dying on a cross and he paid for our debt of sins. And then after that, he rose from the dead, went up to heaven and his new disciples said, we must tell everybody. And they started the church and they exploded across the earth. And now the last book of Revelation talks about how everything is building up to when Jesus will come back and he will take his bride, which is us, up to a banquet where we'll be like we'll be married to him and we'll live for eternity with God. That's it in a nutshell. That's the scriptures. That's it in a nutshell. That's what all of this. So if you're reading sometimes some scripture and you're like, I don't know what this means. Where are we going? What is this? Everything is fitting into the story. Everything is fitting into this whole lineage, this whole story, this whole journey of what God is trying to do in us and through us as a church and how he's trying to win mankind back to him. And I think it's absolutely wonderful. So then it brings us to the whole point of this teaching today. What is the scripture? Why is the scripture so important? Why is the scripture so important? Well, we know this. It's telling us the story of God. In fact, in 2 Timothy, it tells us more. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I don't want to drill into what's teaching, what's rebuking, what's correcting, training in righteousness. We'll do that another day. I want to actually look at it in a completely different angle, right? Because we're talking about scripture. I want to look at the three different main types of literature you're going to read when you're actually looking at Scripture. The three types of main literature and why they're so important and what they reveal to us. So the first of the three main types of literature is this. The first one is narrative Scripture. Narrative Scripture. Why is that important? Because this is telling us something of the story of God and people. Right? One thing I love about the scripture is that it actually is really honest about the frailties, inadequacies, and sins of humankind. The screwed up stuff that you'll actually listen or read in the Old Testament is insane sometimes. You're like, God, why would you want to reach out to these people? Why would you want to have a relationship with those types of sinners? We'd have to ask the same question about ourselves. Why would God want to have a relationship with us? But he does. And so in order to understand that, we must understand the story of God, to understand who he is. Why is this so important? Because the more that you know the story of God, the more you start to understand the mind of God. What's his goals? What's his desires? What drives him? Who is he? Where is he? What about the people in the scripture? Who are they? What are they? What are the people of God? Who are they? Do they even wear kilts? Yes, they do. The story allows us to know them. It allows you to know God. It allows you to know the people of God. When I first started dating Crystal, I didn't just walk up to her and say, hey, you want to marry me? And she went, yes, you seem wonderful. No, she had to get to know me. I had to get to know her before she went, well, maybe, right? And then I won her over with my wonderful ways, right? She had to get to know me and I had to get to know her. Knowing a person is what gives you the ability to have a relationship with that person. Even the boring parts can help you. If you read... uh, read, 
First uh, Chronicles, there's, there's, there's like the first nine chapters of Chronicles are all begatting. You know what begatting means? And you know, Peter begat Cale, which basically means I gave birth to, I didn't give birth to, but I had a child called Cale, right? I haven't had a cross-gender thing going on. So, so there's all this begatting for nine chapters. And you're like, if you want to go to sleep really quickly at night, read the first nine chapters of First Chronicles. Helps you get to sleep really quickly. But why would God put that in? Why is it there? Because I believe that the lineage of what God is trying to build is so important. And he's showing that to us. It helps us to see our spiritual lineage. It helps us to see that God had a plan in the beginning. And he's passed it on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And to tell you that you were never a mistake. You were made on purpose for a purpose. God has a plan for you. I believe there are so many people who are having existential personal breakdowns in their life because they don't know what they're made of. They don't know what they're made for. They don't know that their God has a plan for them, even though that they do believe that there's a God. So many don't know who God is. They don't know his story and they don't know that he has a great plan in mind for you. That should be exciting to you. And if you believe that God has a great plan for you, you would never look at a trouble in your life ever again the same way. You would go, it doesn't matter. My God said he's got a plan for me. He said he's got good things for me. And even if I go through trial and tribulation, it's all for something. It's amazing what you can suffer when you know that your father's in charge of your life. Can I hear, thank you, God. One person, give me an applaud, that's good. It's good. I got someone going. Second part, second type of books in the, in, the, in the scripture is poetry. Poetry. Now, who is into poetry? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, there's a few people into poetry. It's quite surprising. Who is not into poetry? It's all men's hands. Okay, that's good. That's okay. Who's not into poetry? Well, poetry, what's the point of poetry? That's like, poetry is like songs. Poetry is like, you know, sonnets and love letters. And it's like Shakespeare. Remember you had to study Shakespeare at school and some of you were like, I don't like Shakespeare. Poetry is showing us the emotions of God and people. It's showing us the emotions of God. This is very important because God is emotive like us. Right? God is not just a stoic person going, I give, I give blessing, I give curses. He actually feels things. The Psalms tell us all about our own joys, our own depressions, our fears, our peace, our mourning. The Psalms talk about God's mourning, God's pain, God's joy. God tells us this. Even the shortest scripture in the, in the Bible says that Jesus... Wow, you all know it, right? You've got scripture memorized. That's an emotion. That's a manifestation of emotion. One of the problems I think that we have in the West is this, that we're not good at mourning. Do you know that in Jewish culture and biblical culture, they have all these different stages of mourning that you should observe when you lose someone to death? In my country, it's called suck it up. That's the only stage that we go through, right? Suck it up, down a whiskey, sleep it off, you'll be fine. We're not very good at mourning. But in scripture, it teaches us how to mourn because we were never designed for death. But God has a way and a plan to allow us to allow these emotions to come out. They even have names for it. We only have one day in America. It's called Memorial Day. And even with that, we drink beer and go to the beach, right? We don't know how to mourn as a people, but scripture teaches us how to mourn. Why is this so important? I'll tell you why. Because it shows us the heart of God. It shows us what's actually in his heart. 
You see, God's not a tyrant. He's a benevolent God. Even as He faces us in our wickedness and our sin, He's still a benevolent, good God that still wants to have us in His life. And many can't relate to God because they had a bad dad and so they've superimposed that template upon who Father God is and think that maybe God is the same way. It's not true. And the only way we can understand the heart of God is if we read what He has told us through men and God, sorry, men of God and women of God who've actually given us His words. God showed His greatest love by dying for us on a cross. For the Son of God came and died for us. That is an emotional, active movement. I remember when I first started dating, and you know when you first start dating and, and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're about to get married or something, you're writing these love letters, these little cards. Anyone ever done that before? Anyone willing to admit that, right? And you're like, oh, big lover right there, hand went straight up, I love you, I love you, I love you. A few years ago, Crystal had kept some of these things that I'd sent her. I don't remember keeping any myself, I'm sorry. Um, but she's the cartographer of the family, or whatever you call it. Um, and so she had these plans. So I went through it and I'm like, oh, let me see what I wrote. Drivel, absolute drivel. It was terrible. Your love is like a sunshine. A sunshine? What was, oh my gosh. But this is the thing about emotion. Emotion is uncontrolled. It says and does things like you're, you're doing emotional dances before the Lord, right? You're like, that guy is off his rocker. But let me tell you, this is what love does. This is what emotion does. It takes over. It's not a mental thing. It's a heart thing. And it's important for us to be able to show God our hearts as well as God wants to show us his heart. The last part, the last part that we have, the last section or last type of book that you'll read in the, new, in, the, in, the, in the Bible is prose. Prose is when it's teaching us about principles and processes of God. Now that can be essays, it can be news articles, it can be commentary, it could be instruction. That's what prose is. For example, the law books in the Old Testament, all these laws that are written up, they're all prescriptive, they're not descriptive. They're prescribing what you should do in order to have a holy life before God. God. Now, if you take the book of Leviticus, for instance, you might read it and go, gosh, that's a boring book. It's not the type of book that I'm into because most people really just read the New Testament. It's not, not the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is trying to teach us three different things. What's unclean, what's clean, and what's holy. Let me say again, what's unclean, what's clean, and what's holy. Now you might be thinking, well, what's the difference between clean and holy? Well, unclean is you're a murderer. Unclean is that you're a philanderer. Unclean is you're an, an addict. Or unclean is how you, you, how you use your mouth, how you use your actions, the types of th thoughts that you have in your heart. Unclean. And it talks about how you can be clean. The problem is with being clean is it only makes you a good person. But it doesn't make you a holy person. What is a holy person? A holy person is someone that is used by God. Now you might be thinking, oh, I, I don't know if I can be used by God. I'm not holy enough. Guess what? You'll never be holy enough. You can't make yourself holy. It's only as you yield yourself to Christ can you become holy. It's only as you give yourself to God will He allow His Spirit to have an active movement inside of you that removes these desires to go off and do whatever the heck you want. And you desire just to be filled with God. You desire to please Him. You desire to do the right things. That's what makes you holy. But most Christians, forgive me, I'm not trying to criticize you, but most Christians in the world are looking to be clean. 
looking to be good. I'll do good deeds. I won't kill my neighbor even though his music is on really loud, right? I won't kill my wife because of something in my, I won't kill my, you know, it's just all these murderous thoughts come through your thoughts. Is this a confession time right now? No, it's not, it's just examples. But right, so, so, so it's, it's, it's about not only just being clean and good, but it's about becoming holy. Because God wants, as we just read in 2 Timothy, God wants to equip you to do good deeds, to equip you to do the things that he has called you to do. This is super important, why? Because it's showing us the ways of God, the principles, the processes, the procedures. It's important for us to understand the mind of God, the heart of God, and the ways of God so that we might have a relationship with him so that we might be able to become everything he's designed us to be. I'm gonna show you one last thing and I want you to really pay attention to this, right? I want you to learn how to fall in love with the Bible because as you fall in love with it, you'll learn to fall in love with Jesus. And as you fall in love with Jesus, it pleases the Father because he knows he wants a bride for his son. We are that bride. There's gonna be a wedding day someday. And it tells you all about it in the last book of the Bible called Revelation. And this is what God is building up to. That someday we will live for an eternity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to be there. And I hope you're gonna be with me. We can know about it now. That's why the scriptures are so important to us. Let's stand this morning as we end our service and thank God for what he has done. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the precious words that you've entrusted to men and women who were martyred, who were killed, who were slaughtered, who gave their lives so that we might be able to receive the words that you have spoken through them. We thank you, Father, for those things. And we thank you, God, that we get to receive these scriptures. Lord, forgive us if we have not opened up our scriptures and we haven't read it enough. Forgive us if we haven't even opened up our Bible in front of our children because we're so busy doing it through our phones. Forgive us that we're not showing the examples that we should do to our children of what it takes to actually spend time with you day in and day out, even if it's only for two minutes, even if it's only for 20 minutes. We want to be found as trustworthy sons and daughters who trust in the words that you've given us instead of begging for a new word. We can actually look back and see what you've already said about us, what you've already said about yourself. Help us, God, to truly absorb and understand you so that we can be with you. We ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. We love you, God.